I have, uh, this is one of those evenings I was telling Pastor a little bit before uh, where uh, I wrestled with what to um, speak on tonight. And uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 33. I will be brief tonight and try to, try to be brief. Uh, no promises, but I will try. And uh, I want to talk from Jeremiah chapter 33. Uh, Jeremiah is by far one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture. Uh, if the, I'm sure the young people that heard me preach over the years, and those of you who've heard me preach over the years, I've probably heard your share of sermons from Jeremiah from me because he's just one of my favorite characters in all, all of Scripture. Just such a rich, rich character. And in this passage that we get to, it is a, it is a very famous passage, Jeremiah 33.3. 3. I want to read it from the ESV, and then I want to read it from the NLT. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says this, Call to me, and I will answer you. Call to me, and I will answer you, and tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and hidden things that you have not known. And in the NLT it says this, Ask me, and I will give you remarkable secrets that you do not know about things to come. We read this passage, and it gets quoted a lot. As a matter of fact, I have seen it come up in various places for the last few weeks. It just seems to be coming up over and over again. And in this season of prayer, I think this verse is very applicable to where we're doing as a church that we are collectively calling on the Lord, believing that He's going to answer us and that He's going to show us something great. But when you read this passage, I think that the context is very important. Because Jeremiah is not sitting on the beach, sipping lattes, kicking back in his beach chair. Jeremiah is in the midst of perhaps one of the most difficult moments of his entire life. He has come uh, to this point where God has spoken to him and told him to preach a message to the people of Judah. These people have begun worshiping idols. They have begun to turn their backs on God, and Jeremiah is told to come in and to prophesy and to tell them that because of their sinfulness that God is going to judge them. And the way in which he's going to judge them is he's going to send the Babylonian army, and he's going to overthrow them, and he's going to drag them off into exile, and he's going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. This is the message that Jeremiah preaches. And Jeremiah preaches for 23 years, and no one listens to him. Can you imagine? You have this message from God burning deep inside you that God has spoken to you, that he's shown you something, and you want to go and share it, and you go and share it out of obedience, and no one listens to you. What, for, not, for a, not for a few months, not for a couple Sundays. For 23 years he preaches, and no one listens. And so he's in this point of difficulty. And in Jeremiah chapter 25, he says this for, for the past 23 years. He says, From Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until now, the Lord's been giving me his messages. I faithfully pass them on, but you refuse to listen. Again and again, he says, The Lord sent you his servants, but you have not listened. You're not paid attention. Every time the message was this, Turn from the evil road you're traveling on and from the evil things you're doing. Only then will I let you live in this land that the Lord gave to you and to your ancestors. So 23 years of preaching. And not only has it been 23 years of preaching, but this preaching gets him put into jail. 
So the, the king is not happy with what Jeremiah is saying, so he's been put into jail. And it's in jail where he writes these words, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you have not known. It's in, it's in, it's in the midst of this moment where being frustrated for 23 years of preaching, no one listens. It's in the moment of, of being thrust into imprisonment because he's done the will of the Lord that he is... Have, has this moment where God speaks to him. And I know, listen, we are all in the midst of, of, of things. Like, we, the, the world has gone crazy. Maybe your life is upside down. We face difficulty day in and day out. There are things going on that we do not understand. And what are we to do in those moments? Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you have not known. What, what do we do when we feel like we've been doing what God wants us to do and we don't seem to be getting any traction? Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you have not known. What, what, what do we do when we don't understand when things are haywire and things are upside down? Call to me and I will answer you and show you great. It's like muscle memory. It's like what, what we need to be doing is calling on him all the time so that when the difficulty comes and, and we're not sure what to do, all of a sudden it kicks in and we just go, oh, I just call. Like it just, it just becomes second nature just to know that we're supposed to call on him. So what, what do we do in those moments like tonight where we're in a service and there seems to be this cloud? What do we do in those moments? You see, sometimes we uh, want to sit down and we don't want to press in, but if we've been pressing in and been with Jesus all along, then it's just muscle memory. We just go, we're just going to press through this thing. We're just going to call on him. And, you know, we, we have to make it a habit of calling on the Lord in the good times, in the bad times, in every time. Because if you're not calling on him when things are good, when things go bad, then you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. Following Jesus is like this, is like one author put it this way, it's like learning the scales on the piano. That you practice them day in and day out. My daughter's learning piano and she hates to practice, right? But we make her practice as best we can and eventually what's going to happen is she does that enough. It feels like it's rote. It feels like we're just kind of going through the motions. But she goes through those motions long enough, eventually it will just flow out of her. And sometimes we have to just press through. You've got to show up when you don't feel like showing up. You have to push through. You've got to pray when you don't feel like praying. You've got to read your Bible when you don't feel like. You've got to show up for church when you don't feel like showing up for church. And eventually what happens is it becomes part of who you are and it just, it just starts to flow out and difficulty hits and you know exactly what to do. Call on the name of the Lord. And so Jeremiah is in this prison cell and he gets this word from God. He's facing this difficulty, and in the midst of this difficulty, he hears from God. And this is so important, that in our difficulty and in our situation, that we call on him, but that we also listen to what he's got to say to us. That Jeremiah calls on the Lord, and God speaks to him. And in Jeremiah chapter 32, he, he speaks something quite strange to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32, we're going to begin at verse 6. At that time, the Lord sent me a message. He said, your cousin, Hanamel, son of Shalom, will come to you and say, buy my field at Anath. By law, you have the right to buy it before it is offered to anyone else. Then just as the Lord had said he would, my cousin came and visited me in prison. And he said, please buy my field in the land of Benjamin. By law, you have the right to buy it before it's offered to anyone else. So buy it for yourself. Then I knew that the message I had heard was from the Lord, so I bought the field, paying 17 pieces of silver for it. So get this picture. Jeremiah is in prison for speaking the truth. In the midst of this moment, God speaks to him and says, I want you to make a real estate transaction. I want you to buy this field. 
This is an odd uh, request, especially since the land has been uh, attacked by the Babylonians. They've laid siege to the city, and probably scholars tell us that piece of land was occupied by Babylonians. Now, I don't know if you've ever like, had to go buy a piece of property that had like, a, a renter in it, and you had to like, kick them off, right? But I can imagine like, the real estate uh, sale on this thing is like, hey, buy this land, but hey, you're responsible for getting rid of the people on it, right? It, it's, it looks like a stupid thing to do. The city's being attacked. Jeremiah has prophesied that it's going to be doom and gloom, that things are not going to be well, that they're going to go into exile, and yet he gets this request in the middle of difficulty, in the midst of political unrest, all of this stuff, go by this field. This field, by the way, that the enemy, the Babylonians, they're probably camped out on. And what does he do? He listens to God, and he buys this field. Why in the world would he do that? It's important that we not only call on the Lord, but that we listen to what He has to say. Not that sometimes what God has to say to us doesn't make much sense. Let's just be honest. Now that is not an excuse to go out and do something crazy, but it is to say that oftentimes what we think uh, makes sense often is not the way that God moves. So God speaks to Jeremiah and says, go out, I want you to purchase this land, make this real estate transaction while you're in prison, this is what you're going to do. But why was he going to do that? Because it was a sign to, to, as to what God was about to do. Remember, he says this, Call on me, and I'll answer you, and I'm going to show you great things that I'm going to do, things you can't even fathom. Well, what is the thing that God's going to do? What is the thing that God's going to show him? In Jeremiah chapter 32, beginning at verse 10, he says this, uh, Jeremiah signed and sealed the deed of the purchases before witnesses. He weighed out the silver and he paid them. He buys the land. And then in verse 13, he says this, Then I said to Baruch, as they all listen, This is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel, says. Take both this sealed deed and the unsealed copy, put them in a pottery jar, preserve them for a long time, for this is what the Lord of heaven's army, so the God of Israel, says. Someday people again will own property here in this land and will buy and sell houses and vineyards and fields. What's he doing? But Jeremiah is making this, he's making almost this illustrated sermon that God speaks to him and says, buy this property. Why? Because right now the situation looks hopeless. The situation looks bleak. It looks like you're not going to make it. But buy this property because this is a sign that one day I'm going to turn this situation around. That one day I'm going to turn around. And in Jeremiah chapter 33, picking back up, we're going to begin at verse 1. Jeremiah was still confined to the courtyard of the, the, the guard, and the Lord gave him this second message. This is what the Lord says. The Lord who made heaven and earth, who formed and established it, whose name is the Lord. Ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. You've torn down the houses of this city and even the king's palace to get materials to strengthen the walls against the sieges and ramps and swords of the enemy. You expect to fight the Babylonians, but the men of this city, they're already as good as dead. For I have determined to destroy them in my terrible anger. I have abandoned them because of their wickedness. Nevertheless, the time will come when I will heal Jerusalem's wounds and give it prosperity and true peace. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel and rebuild their towns. I will cleanse them of their sin against me and forgive all of their sins of rebellion. Then this city will bring me joy, glory, and honor before all the nations of the earth. The people of the world will see the good I do for my people, and they will tremble with awe at the peace and prosperity I provided for them. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. 
You have said this is a desolate land where people and animals have all disappeared. Yet in the empty streets of Jerusalem and in Judah's other towns, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and laughter, the joyful voices of the bridegrooms, and the brides will be heard again, along with joyous songs of people bringing thanksgiving offerings to God. They will sing, give thanks to the Lord of heaven's armies, for the Lord is good, and His faithful love endures forever. I will restore the prosperity of this land to what it was in the past. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says, this land though now desolate, with no people and no animals, will once more have pastures, and where shepherds can lead flocks. Once again, shepherds will count their flocks. Once again, shepherds will count their flocks in the towns of the hill country, in the foothills of Judah, the Negev, the land of Benjamin, the vicinity of Jerusalem, and all the towns of Judah. I, the Lord, have spoken. What's God saying? Man, I'm going to turn this thing around. So what, what is all this saying to us tonight? Listen, I, I don't know what it is that you're, you face or what situation you're in, but I know two things. Number one, it's always a good time to call on the name of the Lord. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether you're in prison, whether your uh, bank account's full, whether it's empty, whether you're free, whether you're uh, in bondage, what it, it's always a good time to call on the name of the Lord. And it is a good thing to get into a habit of calling on the name of the Lord, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't understand it. It's a good thing to call on the name of the Lord. And number two, there is never a hopeless situation for the child of God. That whatever situation you find yourself in, the Lord will bring you through it. The Lord will, will work in your life. And here's the thing, we don't turn around. Sometimes we can't turn around, we have to go through it. One of the best illustrations I ever uh, heard this last week as I was doing some reading was this, is if you have a 30-foot boat and it's going through a tunnel, a dark tunnel, if you try to turn the boat around, you'll damage the boat and sink yourself. And if you try to go backwards, you lose your ability to steer. But the only way to move is to go forward and to go through it. And sometimes when we're in the midst of a dark moment, of a dark tunnel, and we're uncertain and we don't know what to do, we want to turn things around. We want to go backwards. But you cannot go backwards because you risk shipwrecking things and, and, and causing more problems. And you cannot row backwards because if you go try to go backwards, then you will lose your sense of direction. But what you have to do is trust that the God who put you in that tunnel is going to move you through it towards the end of the thing that you call on Him in the midst of that and you move forward. You do not turn around. You keep moving forward. And so whatever it is that the Lord has spoken to you, know this, that the Lord will bring it to pass. The Lord will bring it to pass. And so we call on Him in difficulty. We call on Him in good times. We call on Him in bad times. And we know that in, in the midst of whatever it is that we face, there is never a situation that's hopeless. Imagine Jeremiah. Imagine the people of Israel. They're watching as their city is destroyed. They're watching as their country is overrun. And yet Jeremiah, who prophesied all of this was going to happen, the Lord also speaks and says, one day all this is it's going to be restored. It's going to be better than it was now. Can you imagine the, the, the difficulty in believing that? The difficulty in actually seeing that? That right in front of your eyes, like your city is burning to the ground, and yet you have this hope that one day everything is going to be restored? Listen, there is no situation which is hopeless for the child of God. Amen. We, 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 we celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. 
If, if it tells us anything, it's this, that there is no grave, there is no uh, darkness, like there is no power that can defeat what God wants to accomplish. And if the grave could not hold Jesus down, then whatever it is that you're facing, God's going to bring you through it.